0: Atheologues, you hear that? Or perhaps put better, do you not hear that? That's right. Just like God, who is better defined by what he is not than by what he is, this podcast's audio is better defined by what you're not hearing than what you are hearing. What you're not hearing is pops, crackles, spikes. What you are hearing is is superior sound quality, because I just bought some sound recording equipment. And who better to try this new sound recording equipment on than my longtime friend Josh Galbraith. Josh is a master's student at Regent College. He's a really, really cool guy. He has red hair. He loves theology. And he's an excellent addition to the podcast podcast. Josh and I had a great conversation infused by his time at Regent College, influenced by John Stackhouse and other Regent professors that he loves. I loved our conversation. I think you'll love our conversation. But there's a warning. There's one explicit word in this podcast. And the reason I say this is partly to deter younger viewers, but also partly to keep you listening for when the F-bomb is dropped so that you'll listen all the way to the end I think you really enjoy this podcast I really ju- I really did Josh is an invaluable wise friend and someone that you should get to know here he is hello Josh
1: Hey, how's it going?
0: <laughs> Good. We've been talking all uh for the last hour and a half and I think we may have exhausted all of our epiphanies. <laughs> so you guys can have just whatever cuz Josh Josh came to visit me from uh Vancouver. Yeah. Um and uh and we
1: had great great conversation. Yeah, we so, saved you guys the sludge on the bottom of the barrel. Yeah, so exactly. we'll see what happens here.
0: You get the horse piss at the bottom of, <laughs> of the beer. Um <laughs> But but how about that sound? Am I right? This is going to be the first episode that has this nice sound. So, yeah, yeah. Um, I'm excited about that. Um, but I'm going to start off with the way we always start off, and that's with just the three simple questions: Who are you? Why are you here? Where are you going? They're the age-old questions, but we call them the simple questions. Just get them out of the way
1: and move on with our lives. All right. Well, who am I? I'm a. Uh, my name is Joshua Galbraith. I I'm a decently recent, um, was it, two years ago, Trinity Western grad? Yep. Um, I lived with Eric and Peter last summer. Uh, we got to know each other a bit better then, and the past couple years since I've graduated, uh, and I got my degree in political science, but then I, uh, um, one thing led to another. There was a few interesting occurrences. I ran in a provincial election, and then I went and worked at a summer camp, and I ended up in theology school, so now I'm getting my... Uh, Master's of Arts in Theological Studies from Regent College um, down the down at UBC, which has been a blast. And I think I'll repeat the other questions now. So. Yep. And why <laughs> Why are you here? Why am I here?
0: I guess that's mainly because you like theology studies at Regent. You've talked about that a little bit.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, so when I saw that you were doing the uh, podcast, I guess yeah. Why I like, are you
0: here in this room? That's a good. There, yeah, there we go.
1: Well, that's a good way to start. You know, yeah. keep things grounded. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Yeah. So I mean. Like when when you start doing the podcast, I was like, "Ah, oh, we got it. we got to get together for this at some point." Uh, just like we, we got it. There's these people raising up the universalism in there. Who's the wits in the what's knows? <laughs> we we, we gotta get some. We gotta get some other voices in there too.
0: That's <laughs> right. We're bringing in the master's educated student to to set the the thing straight.
1: Um, and and where are you going? Where am I going? Um, well, I'm not. I'm probably not going back. I'm probably not going into uh, either pastor work or academia. Which I think a lot of the um currently a lot of people who get their theology education end up doing. But I don't think that at least not directly, I don't think where God's leading me. He might lead me there indirectly, but right now I'm uh I'm thinking that after I uh after I graduate from Regent, well I'll be getting married in December and then I'll be um probably finishing up a thesis and then moving to Victoria and trying to get into a government job over there. So we'll see how that goes. Um, and then as I was kinda of talking to you, like my my dream would be to find something that kind of um, puts together my theology and also my political science background kind of thing like um, I know that there's a guy in Victoria who's been doing um, Like chaplaincy programs and I think it'd be kind of cool to try and maybe connect with him we would had a conversation once about a time, but um, I haven't talked to him since then that was a few years ago so nice. but something where like I could um Come alongside and volunteer with him for a bit as like I'm doing my government job kind of thing cool
0: mm-hmm. Yeah, that sounds good um, Sweet well, welcome. Thank you. Um, so, I guess my first question would be, since you raised an objection to all the universalists, and there's <laughs> a lot cropping up here, myself included, sometimes, mm-hmm. some days, not every day. <laughs> but, um, let's
1: let's let's hear it. Why not universalism? All right. Well, first, let me let me just back a little bit because I don't want to come off as some kind of <laughs> cocky arrogant <laughs> prat. Um, like, um, I have also leaned the universalist way. I think. Uh, back in the past but um if
0: you're a nice person you kind of have to you have to you kind of have to be like
1: oh, if you're a what? nice person and if you like have some kind of if if you thought calvinist thoughts without realizing it you, you right i feel like you can end up universalist pretty fast yeah. I mean, so like, so
0: either a nice person or a calvinist because yeah, yeah, those, those are, are often mutually
1: yeah, exclusive yeah, pretty much <laughs> <laughs> so if you're nice or if you're a calvinist <laughs> I mean, it's about combining both. but i mean like um like my dad uh he is he's universalist so i don't know if he'd call himself that but he is i mean people always there's different names for different things nowadays but um and like one of his big things is like the uh, and we've had conversations about this is um his big thing is like how important god's sovereignty is and it's like well if god's completely sovereign at the end of the day and kind of coming off the raw bell love wins kind of stuff yeah then in the end god will win and in the end that means by god winning that everyone will that's what he wants go up to heaven or Whatever, first
0: Timothy can, or something like that, yeah. He longs to draw all men to himself.
1: Mm-hmm. I don't know if that's first but Timothy, but. I think that, um, my perspective as I kind of talked about is I look at this sovereignty, I look at the God's sovereignty stuff, which oftentimes in Protestant circles comes across as the Calvinist side, <clears throat> and then look at the free will stuff, which is off, which in Protestant circles comes off as the Armenian side, and then kind of this like. Yes, and for both sides, where um, I've heard that this is where the Eastern Orthodox Church ends up, is where they just say, is it God's sovereignty or will? And they say, yes. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> Which I quite enjoy. Oh, that's beautiful. Yeah, and to kind of tie that back into universalism is, um, I think that I've, like C.S. Lewis had a profound effect on my life when I was reading him. I do, like, I tend to, I think, um, in such regards, lean either saying that hell's closed from the inside or in kind of a John Stackhouse vein, saying like leaning to some kind of annihilationism, either or. <clears throat> I mean, like it also kind of like how you view universalism also kind of depends on how you view life in general and how you view like what's to come after this as well. Um, like, yeah. As I said before, I mean, if you're gonna ask me a question about heresy, even though I, I kind of teased you about the heresy stuff, um, I, I I think that saying that we're all going to heaven is like a, it's just it's it's. It's not very good theology all the time. Seems more from uh, there's a lot of passages and there's very little in the Bible that kind of talks about us leaving and going up. There's a lot of passages in the Bible that talk about God coming down and heaven coming down to earth in the end of all days. So.
0: Yeah. Okay. That's good heresy. There's a lot. Okay. There's lots to unpack. Yeah. I I think I think I agree with the. Um, well, I because I read the problem of pain mm-hmm. over the summer over Christmas and um, and he's got a really good defense of hell in there and like yeah. what. You know exactly that looks like, and um, and what that could look like. And Lewis is so great because he's always conflating um, two opposites as well into one thing. Um, and he he talked about in the problem of pain. He paints this picture of this sort of you can either be drawn out of yourself to the divine other and to the people around you, or drawn into yourself into your kind of um, until you you turn into this sort of self-involved kind of. Blob of nothingness, mm-hmm. because the only thing that gives you, um, the only thing that gives you selfhood at all is God. So if you're drawing away from God and into yourself, um, um, then then yeah, you you kind of you kind of implode. And <laughs> and he he kind of describes this picture of you know you're miserable uh, if if you can be described as a you at all at that point, you know, you're, you're more of a vapor or a dust, like a self-imploded like a, one of those yeah. stars that kind of sucks in on itself, a, a dwarf or whatever, mm-hmm. you know what that, those stars are called
1: Yeah, well I mean it's also, it's kind of um, it's it's echoing his thoughts that like the, what you do in this life echoes in eternity mm. um, and I mean this is like as I talked about, you know, like Eileen, Armenian then you mean back to Calvinism, then you back to the Armenian side I mean like there is that kind of idea that our actions here do have consequences in some way, um, and we have to at some point live with those consequences. Yeah. Um, there's a book that I need to read because um, I was saying it. I was talking or listening to something, and they were talking about the problem of pain. And how, um, so maybe if someone listening could then correct you, and then you can correct me on this. But my understanding is that I'm here with the problem of pain from a very kind of like analytical, like trying yeah. to f- solve the problem kind of thing, and then he wrote a grief observed afterwards from actually being in a place of now I'm facing pain. What does this actually mean kind of thing? Because now I have this subjectively actually I can, I'm within this. How do I now cope? Because all my analytics just is not coming. Like my, it's not enough anymore. I need to actually like go through this.
0: Yeah! Wow! I I haven't read The Grief of Observed. Uh, no, I James need yet. to read it
1: as well. Like it was, oh, I was, I was just thinking of it when you mentioned that. Yeah, that'd be beautiful. There's always more books to read.
0: Okay, you mentioned subjectively, so we're, we are going to down this rabbit hole because I sure. did write my paper on it, and, <laughs> and that's it's fascinating to me. So, uh, uh, subjective is truth subjective or objective, and in my paper, I argued that truth is. Uh, is 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 subjective in that truth is a person in that truth is uh, Jesus Christ when Jesus says, "I'm the way, the truth and the life," he's referring to himself as a person um, and so the truth is not objective in that like it's a proposition that you like know in your mind as much as it is a um a person that you can know and so i i um I was really interested in that
1: um, I don't know if you had thoughts on that yeah. Well. Uh, just for the sake of the people listening, we did, yeah. we talked about this also. We, we went out for sushi, a bit, so it was a it was a good time. Um, and my thought on that is, uh, like I've been like my my thesis I'm working on is on Kierkegaard, so I've read a lot of Kierkegaard and a lot of the existentialists and stuff. Um, Nikolai Berdiev, who um, he actually has a very interesting viewpoint on that, because he's coming like right right when modernity is like hitting its peak, and you know like the the myth of progress is fully at its finest. I guess Berdiev, who's this Eastern Orthodox guy, is coming along and saying yeah, no, no, we can't actually know anything objectively. <laughs> because, yeah. like, and he, he does this fun thing where he spins it on his head, probably similar to what you were uh, mentioning earlier with uh, the, I think it was Aquinas, or... Anyway, but... Right, yeah. yeah. like, the idea being that, um, like, if if objective... And it kind of depends on how you define objective and subjective truth, because uh, lots, lots of times objective truth gets defined as, like, the truth that is truth, and subjective truth gets defined as your feelings. Yeah. Um, which... I'd say is a bit of a, it's a bit of a misnomer, like, so if, if you're using those, if you're using that terminology, well, of course there's subjective truth, and of course, like, subjectives, is less important, but I think that, um, in reality, it's more of, like, subjective truth is the truth that you experience, like, as a subject, and objective truth is this kind of, like, out-there truth that you can attempt to touch upon, but as soon as you touch upon it, then it's suddenly becoming subjective truth, and that's kind of where Beridiev went with it, is the mm. idea that, like, you, you can't know objective truth, because as soon as you know it, it's subjective, um like and but he doesn't take that to take to go anywhere relativistic because he says that if the like if there is absolute truth which as a christian you believe that there was and that would mean that the absolute was touching upon the subject in a subjective truth kind of way like how you're experiencing the day-to-day life how you're um going around and just living is becoming your subjective i don't know if that made any sense yeah no that. no I, I, yeah no for sure <laughs> it, was a, um, it was a weird paper to try and write on him but
0: <laughs> yeah no that. Because, that's and that's what Kierkegaard said as well. Truth is yeah. subjectivity. It's that, it's that truth that I personally am willing to live and die for. That's that's the truth that is most important. You know, like mm-hmm. uh, or truth at its very core is that you know not this sort of cold, calculated like oh yeah no one plus one is two all the time. It's it's no. It's that it's that passionate life that's full and 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 and, and aimed at truth and and infused by truth in a very personal. Uh, real sense Mm
1: -hmm. yeah and like one and one thing you remember also when you're reading these guys too is that like none of them are relativists. they all sit and they say like and they somehow manage to in their own in through their own like thoughts and philosophies and whatever come to a point where they say it's subjective but it's not relativistic Mm -hmm. it's still absolute it's just absolute subjective yeah. And then someone comes across and says, oh, well, um, you know, how can you test that that is absolute because it's subjective? So, I mean, if I just asked a bunch of people and they all came to different conclusions, doesn't that mean that, like, I've objectively proved your subjective truth wrong? And then Berdiev would say, no, because you're trying to use objective truth, which if you look back to, um, who was it? Was it Hegel? Some, some one of those, like, earlier moderns who kind of come across and be like, you can't have objective. So you can't, like, it's hard to reason and define the subjective truth through objective means, because it's it's subjective. It's like, I can go outside, this is kind of the analogy that I was using earlier a bit, is I can go outside and I can recognize that the weather is cold. Um, if you tell me it's like 10 degrees outside, which for a BC person is cold, <laughs> then that doesn't mean a lot to me, versus like, if I can actually go outside and I realize I have to wear a coat. Subjective truth, like, it's still cold. <laughs> yeah. It's, you, you're just, you're, you might experience it and feel in different ways but it's still it's still a cooler yeah so there's
0: these are two different ways of kind of describing the same thing you can you can describe in kind of an objective scientific sense you know Mm -hmm. it's 13 degrees or you can just say like it feels cold so that's a subjective the subjective side of Mm -hmm. that objective coin i guess Yeah,
1: and this might be some place where like i um where me and kierkegaard would tilt a bit because i like from my reading of him i'm not sure that he held too much um like good for any objective systematic kind of thing aside from like an objective systematic I mean in a like here's your formula for how you define things for him it was a lot more of like here is the experience that I have lived and here is this the bible and here's where how you read the bible kind of thing and here's where I've read the bible and let me how let me show you now existentially to experience my arguments so you can feel them and move forward yeah I think that I'd say like Probably because, like, I- I've known some people who, like, for them, the objective, systematic kind of walking through of things is very helpful, and it is very beneficial, and, like, where, in a way, where just trying to feel it wouldn't necessarily be that same way.
0: Yeah, neat. Yeah, that's good, and I like that. I like that emphasis on both things. um. Uh... <sighs> so it's it, it is it does get kind of complicated we're using these terms objective and subjective without fully defining them yeah but yeah. But, uh, but at some level I think what we're we're getting at is this idea that um, God by his very nature is transcendent and bigger than our brains like the very nature of God is that he is infinite and that we are finite beings and so anytime that we say you know we oh, no, I, I have the truth. Like, that's just, that just isn't true. <laughs> like, it, it can't be. You can't have the truth. You can't have... Uh, and and I, you can't have it in its entirety because you're a finite being trying to grasp onto something infinite. And so we're all these different... Um, this is what I would say, anyway, is that we're all in these different perspectives and slants and, 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 and aspects... Capturing these different aspects of this one thing that is so infinite, and
1: yeah, um, we touched upon this as well, and I think, um, like as as I said then, I think you, you got to sometimes be a bit careful of like um, of of that of the tightrope that you walk because it is very easy to fall into this. Well, like we're we're all getting a piece, and then if we're all just kind of like combine all of our multiple different pieces, we get a whole. But I think also um, in a lot of regards, we also get a whole sometimes too. What I mean, because in the gospel Jesus says like if anyone who has seen me has seen the father and you get this idea of you know God's revelation has come down um, and so that's kind of in a way where like when we look at Christ when we look at Jesus when we read the Bible we can come to know God and you are correct I think in saying that like we can't necessarily define everything about him just because like finite brains human mm-hmm. nature is subjective but at the same time like we shouldn't just then say we can't define anything. You have to say, well, we can define some stuff. We can define, like, Jesus Christ is the Son of the Father because that is who he said he is. And if we're going to claim to believe that, we got to kind of hold to some of these truths tying with that as well.
0: Yes. Um, and and so those that second part, those truths, you know, that we need to hold to, would it, it for the sake of this discussion, is that helpful to define those as objective? Certain things like tr- Jesus was the Son of God, objective truth. Jesus was, like giving each of these propositions kind of objective,
1: you know, well, way. it's objective in the sense that like, um, anyone could experience that kind of thing, but then you get into that word of experience and if you're experiencing it, isn't that then subjective as well? <laughs> yeah, totally. No, and, and yeah, no. And so, yeah, absolutely. So I guess
0: what, I guess for the sake of this discussion, perhaps we can define objective then as, um, uh, propositional mm-hmm. knowable in the mind, in the head. Yeah. Is that possible? Does sure. that work? Yeah. Okay. yeah and cool. then we can do subjective as like feeling as you know. As an experiential, experiential kind of. Experiential yeah. and 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 and, um, not being able to put it into words.
1: Yes, yeah, I mean like whenever you're trying to talk about truth, you end up kind of like arguing with semantics a fair bit of the time. So. Yeah, yeah, and I think that's. <laughs> I think that's often why important. sometimes I'll kind of, I'll give basic ones that I'll kind of just keep running from there and be like yeah. hopefully people are keep hopefully yeah. I haven't like lost someone because I misinterpreted something too clearly. I know yeah.
0: it is too bad language am i right um but uh but if we can if we can roll with those definitions for now i think those will be helpful subjective being experiential objective being mental you know um uh yeah so so then on the topic of of knowing christ then Mm -hmm. like you say there are things we can know we can know objectively Jesus
1: is the Son of God because it's revealed to us in Scripture or something like that? Is that what you would say? Sure. Like, if you're using those definitions of subjective, then yeah, I think you could go that route. I mean, like, for example, when, and this is the kind of thing where, um, where reading the Bible sometimes isn't necessarily as straightforward as, as we want it to be, but then also sometimes it is more straightforward than we want it to be. Um, like for example, you read Mark and Mark and nowadays kind of comes off to, uh, the modern evangelical mind as the boring gospel book. <laughs> <Right>. Yeah. <laughs> like he's got the,
0: nothing that the other ones don't already yeah, have. Yeah, there, there, be, like why even read Mark? But then like, <laughs> does he have uh, a resurrection? If you read it, <laughs> like,
1: but then you listen to someone like Rick Watts, who's a professor at um, Regent Talk and now that I've said his name, I'm probably going to end up horribly butchering what he actually mm-hmm. said. But you know, um, if you read Mark from and try and get into like a, ancient near east kind of mindset of when the book is being written it actually it almost comes off as like this mystery story of like you know hints are being dropped along you're following this like rabbit trail of clues to who to who this christ person is and then at the very end it becomes obvious when you've taken the full book into account who is christ or who is jesus he is the messiah he is the son of god he is the christ kind of thing um in a way where if you just read it front to back it's like oh and then jesus did this and then jesus did this and then jesus did this what's the point it's like well the point is these stories are the little breadcrumbs that you're following to see that, oh no, Jesus is Christ the Messiah. And it's just, it's differences in how literature is read nowadays. Like, you can get a similar experience, like, um, I was talking to, it might have been Anna, maybe someone else, but I was, like, mentioning how, um, like, I was reading um, uh, a book recently and I was saying how it's, it's interesting to read because just the, It was more of a middle English book, so you try and read it, and it was it hadn't been, you know, reinterpreted into more modern English, and so a lot of the passages you just would, because the literature literature tools that they used to frame things just are very different, so I'm reading along, and all of a sudden, wait, that guy's dead? And, like, I have to skip back a couple pages, because I'm just like, wait, (laughs) that guy died just because you don't pick up on it, Mm -hmm. versus for someone in that time, oh, yeah, like, of course you would it's just or you read like the odyssey if i read the odyssey like very very straight translation it is hard for me to get through just because like i don't yep. i don't have that grasp of the classical tools of literature kind of thing yeah and it's the same kind of thing when you read mark it's like when you when you have those tools suddenly mark becomes this fascinating book of like as i said it almost like a mystery book of like who is the christ and then at the very end you've come to your answer
0: yeah so so tying that into to to knowledge, you know, can we know? Are there things that we can know? Um, is is there absolute truth? Um, which is, I guess, kind of our conversation. Yeah,
1: but, um, <laughs> it's where it's gone to anyway. Yeah,
0: and I, and I like that for a for a, This was a good podcast episode. You know? <laughs> is there absolute truth? Is it objective? Is it subjective? Is it absolute? Um, so what? It, I guess I would argue that that Mark. Then brings you into because it's a story, mm-hmm. because it's a story about a person, it brings you into experiential kind of knowledge of of God of the divine, you know in, in a way that's uh, um, but it isn't provable you know to the mind. Does that make sense? like it, it, it isn't yeah. something you can know for certain. It just can it can bring you into a place of kind of experiential knowledge of of
1: of the divine. Yeah, but in some ways, that's even a better knowledge. Like, um, yeah, I agree. Like, if if I'm trying to describe you to another person, and all that I say is, you know, well, he um, he went to Trinity Western, and he's he wrote a couple plays, and, and he died, and his bones are over there. Yeah, 140, <laughs> 145 pounds, blonde, blue yeah, eyes, yeah, like all these objective. Um, versus if I actually, like, say, oh, you want to know about Eric Delang? Here, let me show you his movie, which I still need to see. <laughs> oh, yeah, hey, well, it'll be online soon. We'll like, be sure like to plug it of, on the podcast. In a similar way, like, um, and this is, sometimes in biblical criticism, this has been the case. Um, I don't, by my understanding, it's not so much nowadays, um, is that the idea of trying to find out who Christ was, and, like, you're trying to, you know, read only in between the lines, and it's kind of like, well, that's... In some cases, that's almost like you're hearing someone tell you about this person that they know really well, and you're trying to read between the lines to get to know the person better. Yeah. You, you should kind of get just hold on a second, take a step back and actually listen to what this person is telling you. Excellent. So, so
0: yeah, spend time with that person. Mm-hmm. That's the best way to get to know someone. And in that sense, then, we can we could use that term subjective, you know. That's that's subjective truth. It's, 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 but that doesn't mean it's relative, like you say. Yeah, that's it why just I'm means, a subjective truth guy. <laughs> yeah, it just means that, yeah, that's so good. Um, and I, I fully agree with that. That's more or less what my thesis was about. That's the, the movie that you mentioned. That's more or less mm-hmm. what that movie is about as well. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's experiential knowledge. It's a relationship. It's whatever you want to call
1: it. And even, Uh, like, going outside theology, too, like, um, this kind of relational experiential knowledge, I think, has, um, it it comes out in other things, too. Like, I was talking to Seminite Regent, and he's a a close friend of mine. He always says, like, Josh, I just don't understand people. And I think, like, he's one of the guys where I'd say, if you want something very objective, like, he is, he's he's much smarter than uh, me. (laughs) Yes, he's an (laughs) analytic. Yeah, but if at the same time, it's like, and I'm not going to claim to understand people that great myself sometimes, but... uh, there's there's this thing where like if you can if you know a person and you can try and like experience what they've been thinking or they've been feeling that helps you to better understand their argument and where they're coming from. Mm-hmm. Because other times if you're just trying to look at the objective actions that they've done, it just comes off as like, why did they do that? That that makes no sense based upon my own structure. And like or um like the environmental debate nowadays, like you can um me and you've both spent a lot of time in Alberta, we know and we've also spent a lot of time in BC. We know how the debate in those like provinces you know relatively aren't that far apart can become night and day where you go to some places and it's like well no there's there's absolutely nothing like nothing's going on wrong but maybe we should pick up a bit more of our own trash and then in bc it becomes like oh god this is a tragedy like this is the worst thing we could do and we need to be fixing this right now because this is a catastrophe and i think a lot of that's because of like how you've been experiencing it it's like you're in alberta and your economy is heavily based on an oil industry that isn't the best for the environment to put my words like that right. <laughs> versus NBC. Like you're part, you're surrounded by this whole nature where if anything could go wrong, like this would be disastrous for yep. this kind of thing.
0: Alberta makes the oil. We get the spills. Yeah. <laughs> but, but, um, um, okay. So to the, to this question then of, 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 of it not being relative. Like when I, when we talk about this, um, that, you know truth is subjective truth is a person truth is jesus christ himself um uh, and then the accusation that that you said you said earlier like that you would caution against this like overemphasizing this because then you can lose certain things that that we know via scripture that we can know Mm -hmm. um but but like you say with this whole um people thing i don't just don't get people like you don't get people how much less are you going to get you know a divine person like nobody if you read the gospels like the, the mm-hmm. disciples never got him so it'd be kind of weird to say that we think we get him now you know because we have some kind of systematic theology to tie the whole thing together like i think i think what that with that you know subjective experience with truth emphasizes is like is is the the Unknowability of, of Christ, and I'm going to play this this side, and <laughs> and have you defend it if you like, sure. Because well, I,
1: yeah, I. Well, uh, well, first of all, I think the first thing I would do is uh, um. It'll be, it'll be difficult for me to challenge your side because Luther's on your side as well. <laughs> oh, all right. I'm, I'm
0: such a Reformation guy. Like, as much as I crap against Calvin and Luther, mm-hmm. like, the more I learn about myself, the more I realize, like,
1: oh, yeah, yeah. I agree with those And guys that I was don't. kind of one of Luther's big things is that, like, you, you can know God through Jesus, but that there's also, like, this unknowability behind that as well. Mm. And it was something that um, my understanding of Luther, anyway, is that he kind of struggled with that. As he's doing his systematic theology as well. as kind of he's making a systematic theology. The- I mean, like fascinating. That, and you've um, like you could even say that a lot of the church fathers, uh, more on the Eastern side, like the Greeks, they were trying to do similar things where they kind of were coming up against this um, trying to weigh like, okay, so we have a Greek mind where God is just complete, like, God is completely yeah. unknowable, like very Platonic kind of. Like, mm. How do we, like, we, we just, we can't know this. It's infinite. It's beyond comprehension. Yeah. And then you're being confronted with this man and the stories of this man who says he is Jesus and he is God. And how are you trying to combine these two things? And I think, like, that's, so I think I'm trying to get it here. Is that um, I'm not just going to give you a simple answer. Here's how you define it. I'm going to say is you're, you're on is that you're not necessarily um, on the wrong track by, by asking this question of how do I define this God, which, as I said, Eastern, the Eastern Church oftentimes, like, they have this thing called negative theology, which is, like, you define it by what you, you know God's not kind of thing. That's so good. And that's, like, that's, so that's that. one way you can get at it. But also, like, uh, you come back to kind of, like, also, who is Jesus and how do we know God by who Jesus is right. and through the parables and stories that he's doing by doing yes. our good Bible reading, which... I admittedly need to do far more of. <laughs> All of us. Yeah. yeah.
0: Yeah. Okay. So, so that's that's a really good point. So, so on the one hand, God is unknowable, mm-hmm. unsearchable, as the scriptures say. But but on the other hand, we, He's other been revealed Harald to Hart us. Total other. as would say more. Total recently, yeah. other. Yeah. 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 And uh, and on the other
1: hand, God is knowable in Jesus. If you've seen Him, mm-hmm. you've seen the Father. Yeah. Knowable in Jesus, and also like a lot of times the Bible comes across as God just trying to reveal himself to people groups kind of thing. Hmm. Like he, like the, he is a God of truth and a God of revelation, not a God of, I'm just going to sit in the background and hide kind of thing.
0: Yeah. And that's why, like, this is a little bit of a tangent, but I think it's, go great. ahead. <laughs> that's, why, that's why the Bible is so great because, because it's God trying to reveal himself in such specific contexts <laughs> in uh, among human beings that are that are that are that are making mistakes and so it's so fun like God's like okay so he's gonna to talk to the Israelites and be like how can I best convey myself to the Israelites well I guess as a God among gods but I'm the best God right so so that's kind of how he presents himself as Yahweh mm-hmm. like the God um, of Abraham Isaac and Jacob excluding you know setting up this sort of exclusive like the God of these people Um and then, and then I guess as Scripture unfolds, we kind of see him widening that scope a little bit more. Yet, and then he goes a person, which is just like nuts. Oh yeah, no God has done that except Hercules. <laughs> 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 yeah, well, it's also
1: it's like how the incarnation happens as well. Uh, this is just kind of like a funny tangent. You know, no, other. please, yeah, this my, good, my yeah. little plug for Regent is a. Uh, I, I love Rick Watts. I haven't actually taken a class with him, but like I've listened to a bunch of his classes, and like one of his. Um, and he, he's a, he loves to do this thing where he'll like kind of say something that comes across very controversial, yeah. and you've got to end up taking one of his later classes to understand what he's talking about. And so one of the things that he said, first time I ever heard him speak, which is at the region retreat, which was like second week of classes, you go on this retreat for a weekend, it's fantastic. And then he was the speaker at the retreat, and he had this one throwaway comment, which is the only thing I remember from his talk, yeah, <laughs> I don't remember anything else, <laughs> but he said, you know, there there's no Messiah in Isaiah, like Christ isn't in my Isaiah, and then you just stop and you're kind of like little, like, trying to understand brain, being like, <laughs> but, but Isaiah's is where I drew all these passages from the lead street. What? What do you mean? <laughs> and um, I actually listened to his Isaiah thing later on, and one thing that he was kind of getting at is that um like, it's, for one, like, the direct word, like, Messiah or Christ, uh, the only time it's really used in Isaiah is referencing uh, Darius or Xerxes, I think. Which is saying, because um, the word just means God's anointed, and saying that this is my anointed who's going to do my work. And he's referencing this uh, Persian king, <laughs> which is uh, quite interesting. But also it's like a lot of the passages in Isaiah that are draw, that you can draw out to get Christ. And, he's, and he doesn't say like that that's not what you're supposed to do. Mm-hmm. He's just trying to say, like, what is it actually doing there and how are you actually reading it? Because a lot of those passages aren't necessarily about God's anointed coming to do God's work. There's like You have some suffering servant, which some people then take to mean God's anointed. But you also have passages talking about the presence of God returning to the temple. And then what happens when Jesus Christ, the presence of God returns to the temple? <laughs> mm. And you start thinking about those things. You get those things. So, like that Jesus is, at, that in Isaiah, it's actually like saying, this is God's presence coming back. That's, that's fascinating. It's good stuff. It's good stuff. Anyway, I, that's I don't know a, if I got the no, tangent, That's a great, to that's I, a great I, I, tangent. I really please. enjoy that.
0: <laughs> So, so if I'm understanding this correctly, God's presence coming back to the temple, like, that—that that is Jesus. Yeah. Jesus is the presence returning to the temple, and that's, like, a whip and tables flipping.
1: Yeah, because what are you doing in my temple? Yeah.
0: <laughs> wow. That, that's cool. Yeah, that's so, so interesting.
1: Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, kind of, I guess, to get back to your question of, like, what can we know about God? Like, yeah, um, I think there was, like, a previous person on this podcast who was, like, kind of... Also, drawing out, like, how can we, like, know what's in the Bible and stuff? and I mean, um, do you know like, who that was? Ah, no, I don't remember. What? Like, I, I don't remember which one. It might have been the person who's recovering Calvinist. As I said, like, the problem is that I'm saying that she was saying this, my I didn't actually listen to the full podcast because I'm a bad person <laughs> and I repent in sackcloth and ashes. But, um, anyway, like, they were saying what yeah. in particular? Um, well, they were just kind of drawing out, like, the I'd say they're, I think they're drawing out, like, the difficulty in reading the Bible. Yeah. Um, And as I was kind of saying earlier, like, the Bible is sometimes hard to read, sometimes easy to read. Um, But there's this kind of, like, you have, you, because you're trying to dive into it and understand, like, contextually what was going on here, because I might not have all the literary tools. And then, but then you also have to make sure you come back and say, but at the same time, like, I say that I follow God, I say I'm a Christian, I say that God's sovereign, so I'm pretty sure he's had some good management over this book as well. So what does the entire then book say? What does the entire biblical canon say as well? And how can I, like, then know God through that kind of thing? Like, Mm. is what I was saying is, um, if you look at the um, Genesis myth, um, and you can, and once again, this is going to be me using the term literally, because as a good region student, I'm trying to recapture words that I think have, taken certain ways that don't necessarily need to go that way but so when i say genesis literally i mean like the way that literally it would have meant to the people like the genesis was being directly um, written to kind of thing and so you take this story of genesis and the myth and there's this um, beautiful imagery of you know god's presence coming over the surface of the waters and hovering there and in a lot of other and myths, this would be the time when all of a sudden, because the water was chaos, so then you would have your your dragon of chaos, or your Leviathan of chaos would come out, and then the god would fight the Leviathan, and then he would tear down the Leviathan, and then out of the, the Leviathan's corpse he would make the world, or, you know, touches upon that theme. So, you know, like this, the god, the, the god struggles and makes it. But then in the, in the biblical narrative, the Hebrew narrative, the Genesis narrative, the, our Bible narrative... God comes, just hovers over the surface of water, and then just creates. That he doesn't need to struggle against the evil because he is, like, so high and sovereign above Yeah, God. he orders the chaos. Yeah. And then in Job, you have the story of, you know, like, he uses the term Leviathan and references it as, you know, this little, like... So the great monster of chaos has become God's little plaything swimming in the bathtub. Like, <laughs> right. Right. like that's kind of the imagery that you get. So, like, when you're asking, like, what can you know about God? I'm, like, saying those are the kind of things... You can know about God, like, and...
0: That he's unknowable? Because that's all, because that's all I got from that. That's literally, that he's high above and far beyond.
1: Here's another word to throw up for you then, is that there is a sovereignty in there. Like, as that I said... That he's sovereign. Yeah. There is a word. Yeah. Very nice. Okay. So you can, so you can get those kind yeah. of things out of the story as well, but also, like... That he's in control. Yeah. But yeah. that he also, um, that he gives us a place as well, I'd say, as well. Like, that's, that's another thing We've like, we gone to my Calvinist that's side, Now we have got to come back to my, that's to my so other good. side, because... Otherwise, I feel like I'm leaning too far. I'm gonna fall out of my chair. Jekyll and Hyde. (laughs) But which one is Jekyll? That's the real question. Yeah, but I mean, like in a similar way. um, So when God creates mankind, what's the first command that He gives us? And it is, "Be fruitful and multiply." Um, And Stackhouse, kind of in the lecture series I'm listening to, his he uh, has this funny comment where he's like, "It's where he you know kind of makes fun of the fact that God basically tells us that we need to go have sex." (laughs) <laughs> do it and, do yeah, it and it's kind of like that's that's usually not something that you need to tell people to do like, yeah, okay you need to eat food yes right. you need to drink you need to breathe right. you need to have sex like these yeah <laughs> but it's also like, no we would have we
0: would have figured that one you know,
1: out we, we probably would figure <laughs> that one out like but so why is that a commandment you're drawing out like in the same kind of passage you're also getting things of you know um that he's creating mankind as man's image, which also, as like we were mentioning before, um, yeah, before the podcast, like you know, God's icons, the little little icon of God wandering around on the earth, um and what has, and if you're just starting from Genesis one and reading forward, all that you know of God at this point is that he's a creator. So there's another word for you, by the way. <laughs> um, uh, <laughs> but nice. then also, it's more like, so attributes. God's first this command is, is, is the good. act of procreation, is the act of creating, and so within that, you can. And within our places, you know, God's icons on the world, you can draw out the, you know, we have a purpose here to create as well. This is good.
0: Mm-hmm. Let let history show that Joshua proved me that that there are things about God you can know. <laughs> That's good, man, because I, I love to err towards this sort of postmodern, you know, God is all you can know about God is, you know, what he's, what he's not similar to the Orthodox or just kind of you know, God is, like Mm -hmm. Peter Rollins, I don't know if you read, you read or, I need to Um, read far more than I actually have, but yeah, he, he, he loves to talk about how God is, you know, anti-knowledge, you know, God's unknowingness itself, God is, you know, the, the void, God is the, um, but, uh, but yeah, that the Bible does reveal these things that we can know, and that he gives us agency as well, and that he affirms creation, that he, and that, uh, that, that other thing you said about um, ordering the chaos and making room for for us to flourish and, mm-hmm. and affirming kind of our agency and humanity and and this is something we talked to, touched on earlier as well. Um, then that ultimate affirmation then of this God who's unknown and 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 transcendent, um, putting on flesh and becoming a a, a human being yep. that is mind blowing mm-hmm. because because. Then, then Christ is is the ultimate affirmation of of humanity, mm-hmm. because he came and, and 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 he loved us so much that he, you know, mm-hmm. became human. Yeah.
1: And I might go on a bit of a polemical tangent here. Please, I'll, which, if I'm wrong, I I stand open to correction, but. Like, and that's because I mentioned, um, like, earlier in the podcast, the idea, you know, like, the incarnation is in itself, like, it's also, it's how is he incarnated? And as we've kind of been drawing out, like, this idea of this super sovereign, like, super monotheistic uh, Hebrew kind of deity becoming flesh, becoming man, um, in just a way that is paradoxical, in a way that just doesn't, nec- doesn't make sense to a lot of people there. Yeah. They're just trying to grasp, but how does this, how has this happened? Um, versus, like, because you do have stories in other religions of, you know, the God becomes man, but oftentimes it's... It's like in the Hindu religions where it's just like, it's the God and he's come, he's incarnated himself and he grows up as a boy and then he goes back and enters the, some was it Sam? Uh, so I'm just going to, not say the word, but then he goes back and he enters the wheel kind of thing mm. because he's just, he's, he's God, but he's also still within the wheel. Mm-hmm. Um, but it'd be kind of like saying that the, the Christian gospel is that somehow God is actually outside the wheel and he came into it. Yes. <laughs> right. Yeah. Or like you have, um, I think there's some Egyptian ones too, where it's fairly similar. Like you have these very physical kind of God things, and then they become man. Versus like this, this transcendent God yeah. thing becoming this man. divine, like, other <laughs> completely yeah. unknowable, um, becoming knowable in Christ. Like it's yeah. just it's it's this.
0: And and I like that then, and I like that 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 uh you say there are attributes we can know about God from Genesis 1 already because mm-hmm. then in that way Genesis 1 kind of prefigures this eventual um you no know, you can know God. But but somehow it maintains that tension. You yep. know,
1: totally transcendent, unknowable, and yet fully man. Mm-hmm. Well I think another way that I can that I tend to look at is too is like I say you can know God, but that doesn't necessarily mean that you can put him into a box. And it is like an I and having said that, like it's something that I think I myself have struggled with in the past. It's like this is only this is all that God is kinda of thing, like I know, I I understand. Mm. But at the same time it's like God is God is the absolute subject kind of thing. You can't actually put him in a box, you can kinda of, like wrap the box around his ankle. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> yeah but then he is and
0: then but then it disappears immediately like yeah, as but, soon as you think you have his ankle
1: even mm-hmm.
0: like Oop, nope that was my ankle <laughs> just mistook it for god's ankle or something i don't yeah. know yeah
1: and not, so like not saying that you shouldn't have like this systematic struggling because like as um like the place where a lot of theology comes from is the struggle of trying to define these things like as we're talking about you know christ as god and also god god Um, And how you're trying to define the Trinity, because eventually the Holy Spirit gets added in there. Mm -hmm. And you, as you would mentioned uh, prior to the podcast, you were in the Athanasian Creed. And um, and in the Athanasian Creed, Athanasius is trying to explain how you could have God in Jesus, but also who is still God, and that God has not become smaller in any way by taking on, by becoming Jesus. And the reason that Athanasius even has to write this is because he's coming up against um the uh come on josh you can remember that heresy one of the original heresies the one that the uh... saw the gnostics no no well gnostics weren't really christians to begin with they don't get to be called heretics <laughs> <laughs> they don't even they, they were greeks that, <laughs> but uh they, like he was coming up against uh people that were saying that jesus wasn't divine or that yeah. he was you know like a the kenosis Lord. that's kenosis right
0: the canonic ken- heresy Christ emptied himself of everything, including his divinity,
1: it, when he became a man. That's not what I was no? thinking okay. of, but no, but it, there was a. There's just like. This is, be really, this is going to annoy me now for the rest of the time. I just want to oh, search well. it up. But anyway, like he was coming up against the heresy that basically said that Christ wasn't God. Like it, it, he, he was an was. angel, oh, he, he, was, okay, yeah. he was a created being, because yeah. God can't be, oh, God yeah, can't yeah, be yeah. changed, God I, can't be different, so he can't be. Yeah, see? So right, no. right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like the Kenotic emptying, that's something else.
0: Okay. 'Cause God can't be yeah. Immutable. Yeah. Therefore he can't put on flesh. Yeah, that's that's fascinating stuff. Um this is a good time for your heresy. <laughs> it is. It fits right in here. Alright. <laughs> so
1: so so what's your heresy? My heresy. So well as I was kind of joking with Eric before, I was like, I don't know if I have a heresy. Just <laughs> it's completely I mean, orthodox. Like, yeah, because I was, uh, I was saying I try to be an orthodox guy. Like um, I as we do all do. Yeah, and I was kind of joking with him because I was saying, well, I mean, like I, I don't hold the pope to be the. Uh, the head of the church here on earth and that's apparently held by the majority of christians in the world so i guess to them i'd be a partial heretic but <laughs> i don't hold i don't hold that the pope is the authority i hold that pope francis is
0: the authority because <laughs> he's awesome and no one hates him now all the other popes take him or leave him but pope francis i will submit to his authority any day <laughs> uh pope francis anyway uh... but that's a but, great thing that's... sorry this is a tangent but that's yeah, a great sure. thing about being a protestant is it, that i that i found is that you can submit to the pope and 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 you can do it willingly. You can be like, I agree with the Pope, but a Catholic can't be like, I agree with the Pope. The Catholic has to agree with the Pope, <laughs> right? But like, the Protestant gets to agree with the Pope. How is that for a beautiful
1: analogy? That's so that. And you can go back into history to see when times when the Catholics have disagreed with the Pope, and you know, yada yada yada. <laughs> like when the when the doctrine of papal infallibility. And actually, technically, sorry, tangent. Technically, you can disagree with the Pope. I think as long as like you recognizing his authority on the church, and if he hmm. says something ex-cathedral, that's which he right. almost never does, then he is infallible because he's speaking ex-cathedral right. over the church. That's right. Yeah. Anyway. That first, was sort of a t- silly tangent. Tangent, 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 tangent. tangent. But Just thank because, you for correcting yeah, me I, I know again. some Catholics that are more conservative that uh, they don't necessarily love every single thing that Francis says, but, <laughs> but it's not speaking ex-cathedral. So heresy! Okay. Yeah. Anyway, so, uh, but I think something that some that uh, some people might uh, consider heresy, especially how I how if I want to word it more controversially I'd say, Oh, we're just, we're not going to heaven. So. <laughs> <laughs> we're not going to heaven. Josh's heresy heaven. podcast <laughs> over. <laughs> <laughs> no, please explain. Yeah. So, um, this is coming out of, this is coming out of a lot of stuff for me. Um, but it's especially been coming out of like a lot of the reading and learning that I've done and kind of just to do it in short is, um, it seems to me that a lot of this, like, that a lot of the, uh, you know, you die and your soul just kind of floats up from your body up into heaven. Um, it's 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 very Greek. Um, it's fairly Gnostic, as we were talking mm-hmm. about soul before. Soul over body. Yeah. The soul um, will leave the body. These are mm-hmm. dualistic. Yeah, versus when you, like, especially in the Old Testament, there's this very, like... Um like if you're to open up your English translation Bible, there are words that are translated there as soul, but um usually the the word for soul is a lot more of like self, like mm. fullness kind of thing. Right. Um, and also when you when you read like Revelation, a lot of the other passages of the Bible too, there's this like this idea that it's not necessarily the point. The good news is not necessarily that we're floating up to heaven, the good news is that god's heaven is coming down here like you read revelation it's like you're there's a new heaven and a new earth a renewal like a Mm. uh, reformation like god's going to take
0: oh a reformation good word
1: (laughs) good way to describe it yeah that god's going to take this um this this uh this world and he's going to do like his he's going to complete it yeah be the word that i use and that and that
0: fire that rains from heaven can be a refining fire right it's a Purification.
1: Mm -hmm. And then like what's what are the final scenes in Revelation? Like it's it's the new Jerusalem coming down God's holy city landing. Mm. So you have this whole thing of where and also it's like when you read Paul, what's Paul harping on? I think it's Thessalonians, where he's saying, like, don't worry, the resurrection of the dead hasn't happened yet. It's recognizing that, you know, like there's going to be a resurrection of the dead. (laughs) Mm. (laughs) That's right. That we'll be back kind of thing. Like I want my tombstone to say I'll be back and have Arnold Schwarzenegger's (laughs) thought. But <laughs> <laughs> that's amazing. So kind of this whole. So you, thing.
0: so when you die, your soul didn't float up to heaven, and now your soul's hanging out watching us till the resurrection. You would disagree with that?
1: No. Well, first of all, because um, because I'm a ginger, I get to say I don't have a soul. So <laughs> there you go. <laughs> kind of tying in the same thing. Like, Can
0: you say I like a C.S. Lewisian ginger? <laughs> I don't have a soul. I am a soul.
1: Burn. Yeah. Basically. So, and like that's that's where I'd say like. um uh that like that there could be some kind of in-between state. I I I keep that open. I haven't looked up and I haven't okay. looked into it enough to yeah. kind of like fully define that myself, cool. but I think that what I get at is that um is that in the end we're coming back. Like we're we're coming here and there does seem to be a bit of a um there there's some good imagery within the Bible. I think this is also in revelation of like uh the chosen like coming up to meet God, but when you read that in light of like cuz when a king returned to a city like uh, the people of the city would come out to meet him, and then they'd come back into the city. They would not just you know chill up yes. out, out outside the city. Yes. And so a lot of that imagery is picking up, like that you know we we might if we're getting taken up, we're coming back and, down, and, and we're leading so, the victory and charge. So kind yeah, of thing. And, yes, yeah. and
0: you're you're referencing that that passage where it says we'll meet him in the air.
1: I think that that's one of them. I think that there's yeah, there's a couple, but yeah, there's one in particular.
0: We'll meet him in the air. So that idea of the king coming down, mm-hmm. we'll go up. Meet him in the air, and then he'll come down, yep. and we'll have a party here on Earth. And also,
1: like, a lot of that in-the-air up stuff is, like, it's it's people trying to describe transcendence um, right? in a way where nowadays we say transcendence. <laughs> like, <laughs> how, how do you describe something that is far above and far away and just far greater than yourself? You look up into the sky, and you see these shining lights. Yeah. And so that's... Uh, so coming out of that is where you get a lot of the... Um, and, just these aren't just my words, this is me paraphrasing stuff that I'm getting from as I said, John Stackhouse's stuff and um other professors as well as this idea that like um so a lot of the like up down kind of thing is is just trying to get language of transcendence. Yeah. Um but another way to look forward is like kind of a forward thing as well, is that we're moving towards something. Which then also ties back is it's like um you 'cause when you if you start looking at things that way, you look back at uh the story of Eden and it's like, Well, was Eden just like uh, how do I want to word this? Sorry, give me a second here.
0: Yeah, oh, we can add it too. Yeah. No...
1: Well, I mean, like lots of times we get this idea um, in Christian circles that the goal is just to get back to Eden because we, we, mm. we fucked up. <laughs> to pardon my language, like that's I'm trying to I'm using that's this the nicest way we can put up. it. Yeah. yeah. That like we have messed everything up, and so we got to get back to Eden because that's when everything was perfect. Um, versus the idea of. Like, Eden being good, but it not being complete. Um, not saying that we, were ever, that we were supposed to eat the yes. fruit when we did. And there was... I can't remember who it was. I was listening to someone else who was talking, and they were saying like that... And I really like this. Like, I, I haven't had time to really percolate enough in my head. I'm sorry we're talking about Eden, but we're going to be on this tangent for a bit, I think. And what he said was that... Um, it wasn't just that, like, we weren't supposed to eat the fruit. It said we weren't supposed to eat the fruit now. Kind of thing that like we were like within the myth we're a new creation kind of thing we're still like learning and that at some point like the, the fruit wasn't just made to be a temptation but the fruit was made like for at some later point
0: knowledge of good and evil is useful
1: yeah but that you we took it too soon and like and you read that and like he, he's not just taking that out of nothing he's like saying because if you read a lot of the biblical narratives a lot of the sins of the early people are just grabbing for things too soon Whoa, and good things. Yeah, grabbing yeah. good things. Yeah. That's so good. It's like, it's not a bad thing for Jacob to be born, but he grabs it. He saw his heel. <laughs> totally. Like, you, you get stuff like that. the grabby
0: mentality. That is such a helpful... Or play.
1: David's bringing down the Ark of the Covenant, um, but instead of... But God said, no, my temple is going to be made by your son, and but he still brings it down on the cart. A guy reaches out to grab the Ark, but he's grabbing it too soon. You know, within the story, God strikes him down. Like, there's stuff like that where there's this... Almost, and this is, again, something that uh, the Eastern Church picks up a bit, is this idea of almost like a, a growth... Uh, a spiritual growth of humanity as we're moving forward. And I'm I'm a bit tentative of those terms just because a lot of times I think it gets a bit too close to the the idea of, like, you know, modern progress. Yes. And I think that there's more to it than that, especially because I think it goes up and down like but if, one of these little... But like, if we
0: frame it as growth rather than... Pro- progress, you think cars and technology. Yeah. Growth, you think a flower or a tree. Right? That's a very <laughs> biblical yeah. image. Grafted into the vine, the growth. Mm-hmm. That's, that's nice. Yeah, it's so
1: this idea of, like, that... Where we're going, and like the new creation is actually going to be beyond Eden because then it will actually be completed, uh, yeah. In this, in this
0: Ooh. kind of so you have a nice thing. little, um, yeah, plug for you know, progress isn't always a bad thing either. You don't always have <laughs> no. to go back and say, Oh, I miss Eden, I miss Eden. There's,
1: there's, well, a future, I, I quite, but, um. I quite enjoy my uh, my running water and my flushing toilets, but <laughs> I don't. I'm
0: all about the outhouses, man. No, that's that's a good point.
1: It's also, it's a thing where like um, this is another thing that Stackhouse picks up on. It's like the idea that um, of heaven as a garden is actually a more Islamic idea than a Christian idea, actually. Um, like, in Islam, because you're trying to describe what is the greatest thing, and from a Hebrew tradition, the greatest thing is the holy city, Jerusalem. It's actually a city. Like, you're you're not just in the wilderness kind of thing, which, you know, C.S. Lewis kind of goes off into the wilderness, because that's the greatest thing that he can think of. Versus, like, uh, in Islam, there's, story, there's sections in the Quran kind of talking about, um don't know if they call it heaven or not, anyway, don't quote me on that, but where it is described as an oasis, because for, like, a... A Bedouin era, like the oasis, is the greatest thing. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, imagine if water was actually just pouring. Or you have things like in uh, describing the the new creation, where it's like, okay, we need to describe that this is just abundance. So what's the most precious resource, like precious um, mineral that we have? Gold. So, you know, the streets are paved with gold, which you know it doesn't really seem like a good paving job because gold's really like soft it's just like you're gonna have it's just it's not gonna work very well not? want a platinum yeah or like that their pearls are just like so massive that you can just build a gate out of pearls kind of thing like right not necessarily like um that almost in a way where it's like the the best that this world has becomes like the 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 just granite um like rock just yep. building blocks, you know, like not actually that important. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. Because it's just so far beyond that kind of thing. Because it's so far, mm-hmm.
0: right? And so heaven is not some place in the sky, but it's here. Yeah. And goal is the one of the lamest of the.
1: Yeah, kind of touching on that point, because like also in on um, the New Testament, you have the you have an, another tension in there, which is. Um, kind of the tension of the already not yet for the kingdom of God, because you're here, Jesus and Jesus is like, the kingdom of God is here. Yep. The kingdom of God is among you. Repent. And we're over 2000 years later. <laughs> yeah. So how do you, so, so you're still, so you come to that tension where it's like God's kingdom is here, but it's also coming. Um, kind of tying that in where the idea yeah. we'll be back because it's not, not completed yet. Right. But it is here, but it is here. Very nice. That's really good.
0: Thank you. <laughs> that's, a good, that's a good rundown. And a good heresy, which is just a sneaky, <laughs> sneaky orthodoxy. That's, what I'll, that's okay. Yeah. I'll forgive you for not being a heretic. That's very, very I hope good, so. though. And, uh, yeah. And, uh, yeah, thanks for coming on the show, man. This is going to be a good episode. Uh, we'll see. <laughs> <laughs> cool.